This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Am I on? Am I on now? I'm on now. This thing is new for me. I'm so on. I like this front row. <laughs> you what after worship I had to like I felt like I had a David moment I like at the end of worship I was like I need to like get redressed like my necklace came off and like my shoes came off and I was like let's like re re put together I don't even know why I put on makeup and did my hair today because it all sweat off and it's all (laughs) so I'm like let's just go it's okay (laughs) I still forgot my shoes (laughs) I just realized that (laughs) yep Uh, So I don't, oh, am I too loud? They'll fix it. Okay, so I don't speak that often. Um, Not because I don't feel like I can't. I just always tell John, when I feel like I have a message, then I'll tell you I have a message, and then I will preach the message. (laughs) Other than that, I'm not one to force it, because if I try to force it, I'm going to be up here and be like, hi, everyone. But this has been burning in me. Like you said, I've really been on a journey the past couple of years, especially this year. And so it's a message that's really burned in me. I've walked it out. I'm walking it out. So I understand what I'm telling you today. I understand the implications and the hard journeys of it. But we still need to go on it. So I'm going to hit you with one big question right at the beginning. What is the main point of our Christianity? It's really not a trick question. It's actually really simple, but it took me a long time to figure this out. It's direct personal relationship with God. With the Trinity. Jesus sacrificed himself for this relationship. That's it. It was all about relationship. There's, all, there's obviously so many things that can come out of relationship. But when you boil it all down, the main reason Jesus came was to rebuild that relationship. So, with that said, what does the kingdom look like on earth? If our point is, as Christians is relationship, what's this point? Relationship. I promise I'm I'm really going to try not to give you trick questions I will say because I love you guys most of the time when you feel like raising your hand I wouldn't (laughs) make that mental note (laughs) Oh, but it's about relationship healthy relationship strong deep relationships full of Christ's love right So what I want to focus on today is what it takes to create these relationships and what it takes to steward these relationships. That's what building the kingdom is. That's what building, bringing the kingdom to earth, okay? So what's your part? Your part is very simple and very hard and very easy all at the same time. (laughs) Your part is being the powerful person that God created you to be. (laughs) I was a very powerless person for a very long time. 
because my understanding of what a powerful person was was completely wrong. So I had, I went through life with like all of these false expectations of like, oh, I have to be this way if I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to have to be like, oh, you know, and, <laughs> and I couldn't live up to it. I tried. I went through seasons of trying and it just drained me. It didn't work. So then I would go back to my, what I was saying was my little powerless self that didn't know how to do anything. So what do you guys think of when you think of a powerful person? Think in your mind to the most powerful person that you know. Are you thinking of them? Yeah? How do they act? How do they carry themselves? How do they interact with others? A very stereotypical powerful person that I would immediately think of was like, you know, the New York lawyers with their power suits. I told John I really wish I had a power suit, but I don't own one, or I would have worn it this morning. <laughs> or their power tie. They got to wear their red tie for their power tie. You know, that's the silly, like, cinematography, you know, like, all that stuff. But, you know, as Christians, we, tend, we bring it down. We're not that dramatic. So are they charismatic? Do they light up a room when they come in? Are they not afraid to talk to anyone or any group, no matter the size? Do they have great influence? Can they do and achieve everything they set their hands to? Are they driven? Are they aggressive? You guys are quiet, yes? Is this like identifying with who you're thinking of? <laughs> it's not that these are bad. I'm not trying to set you up that way. I'm not saying that these are bad characteristics. Like I'm actually trying to develop some more of these characteristics. They're not bad. But the thing is, is that they're personality traits. They're not a sign that you're powerful. Right? Right? I'm sorry, but I can't come in and talk to an entire group of people I don't know very easily. <laughs> That's not me. Does that make me less powerful? No. No, it doesn't. And it took me a long time to figure that out. How many charismatic or like larger than life people do we know? But they're, they're really just putting up walls. Their over the topness is really just putting up a wall to you that you're not actually going to see the powerless person that's inside of them, the depressed person that's inside of them, the lonely person that's inside of them. I would say that in the past couple of years, we have seen so many celebrities tragically take their lives because of this misconception. You know, we think of celebrities, they have so much influence, they've got it all, they've made it. And because they have to put up that facade, so many of them have just given up. Right? I know for me, Trying to be what I thought was a powerful person left me very disappointed in myself. It left me feeling depressed. So I can identify with what a lot of celebrities and even Christian celebrities, just people on the platform feel like they have to do to cover up things that are going on inside. I was depressed. I was lonely because I don't want anybody near to actually see right? So what I did 
is I just went, okay. <laughs> I can't do it, obviously. So I'm just going to step back into the shadows. I have a very charismatic husband that can talk to everybody <laughs> under the sun. <laughs> Carry conversations. Look deep into your soul. So I was like, there you go. I gave him my authority, and I gave him my voice. Oops, I keep hitting this thing. John hit last week about how the devil can't take our authority. We can only give it to him, right? Obviously, John is not the devil. Yet, I gave him my authority. It's not just the devil. You can give your authority and your voice to other people. Even when they're not asking for it. John never asked for my authority. He never asked for my voice. If anything, he was trying to like dig it out of himself to be like, take it back. This is yours. This is yours. Take it back. And I was just like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not mine. What? <laughs> So what is a powerful person in the kingdom? How do we steward ourselves and steward our relationships to be a powerful person to advance the kingdom? It's our relationships, right? With our spouses, with our children, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers. They don't have to be Christian. You still have relationship. <laughs> Even with abusive and unhealthy people. Okay, so it would take me like a month to actually dive into all of these relationships. And I have one sermon. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of dwindle these relationships down to your relationship with your family and the relationship with this church family. And I feel like that you can take the keys and like direct them into every other relationship that you have going on in your life. So before we actually jump in to how a powerful person handles themselves, let's kind of see how God has wired them. So the first scripture that I think of is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Everybody know that one? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I feel like we fly through this scripture, through this verse. We're like, yeah, we got it. Do we really? Are we actually walking it out? So let's look at, I want to look at two other translations of this scripture that I really feel like bring to reality to us more what these actually are. So let's go ahead. Well, actually, I'm going to read from Passion Translation. So if you have that translation, you can turn to it. First, I'm going to have some tea. Okay. I love this. It says, But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. 
patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. And then the last paraphrase is from the message, but I love it. I love it. In the message, it says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That's powerful. I want to keep reading in the message. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us is better and the other one is worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. <laughs> I love that. Each one of us is an original. <laughs> I love the, or the message translation sometimes. I really feel like I'm like, this guy gets it. <laughs> Notice in verse 24, I'm going to kind of do a side note here. We usually read it as, those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, right? We've heard that, that the way it's been said that way many, many times. The problem with that translation, or I would say people's understanding of that translation, is that they go down the path of constantly trying to kill their flesh. Right? But the thing that I want you to see is that it says flesh with its passions and its desires. So we're not talking about this. We're not trying to like physically kill ourselves. What the way that people understand it is that they have to kill their passions. That they have to kill their desires. Because it's fleshly. Don't you find it interesting that Satan would use a scripture, misinterpret it, so that we believe we have to kill our passions and our desires. When the Lord's the one that gave us our passions and our desires. How can you be passionate for the Lord if we're killing it? How can we desire Jesus, our bridegroom, if we just killed it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, man. Okay, bring it back down. So what was crucified with Christ? If it wasn't our passions and our desires and the way that we're trying, we used to understand the scripture, it's everything connected with getting our own way, being selfish, and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities. <laughs> listen to Jesus, listen to Holy Spirit, do what he says, and everything is fantastic. <laughs> It then goes on to say in the next verse, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. So it can't just stay here. It can't just stay here is what the verse is saying. It's got to be everywhere. We got to work it out everywhere, right? So we have to know everything. We can't ignore it. Who are we? How are we made up? How did God create us? We're three different parts, right? We're spirit, we're soul, and we're body, right? I would say that recently the world has, has done a pretty good job of teaching us how to take care of our bodies. You know, a lot of research has come out. A lot of natural remedies have come out to really support our bodies, bring healing to our bodies. I know in the past two years I've really been on a health journey of making myself healthy, you know, so I'm not going to dwell too much on our bodies. Just Google it. <laughs> the church has done a phenomenal job of teaching us about our spirit. Who we are in Christ. Being seated on the throne in heavenly places with Christ at all times. That we don't have to wait for heaven when we die. That it's in our spirits. It's in us. Okay, the church has done great. I'm not here to bash, bash the church. <laughs> the previous generations have done fantastic at this. What I feel like the Lord is releasing right now is the revelation about the soul. You know, we've heard a lot of, um, I did grow up hearing a lot about taking captive every thought, and that is part of your soul but I also saw a lot of people take it unhealthy. And I saw more bondage and stress of trying to take their thoughts captive than the freedom that the truth should have, should have brought to them. And so I really feel like the Lord is releasing that revelation of the soul and how to take care of your soul in this generation. This is his now word. <laughs> We're done sacrificing our flesh over and over and over. I just want to be like, can you not see it? It's dead. Quit bringing it back to me. I don't want to do it anymore. Like anybody, somebody comes up to me and says, you just got to kill that flesh. <laughs> I'm like, you can go kill your own flesh. Mine, mine. What you're talking about has already been taken care of. <laughs> They want you to sacrifice your soul. And we're not going to do it. We're not going to sacrifice our souls anymore. We're going to celebrate them and know how they work. <laughs> so our souls are our mind, 
our will, and our emotions. Your soul is where you make connections with people. This relationship that I'm talking about, it happens in your soul. It's where your heart is, right? It's where your love is. That's why Satan's trying so hard to get us to think for us to be good Christians. We got to kill it. We got to get it under control. Why would you kill your love? Christ is love. So if you go down that path, if you're trying to kill love, then you're trying to kill Christ that's in you. I got to get off this soapbox. I'll be on it all day long. (laughs) So your mind is your thoughts, right? Your mind is your thinking, your thoughts. Your will is your decisions, all your decisions that you have to make in life. That is your will. You have free will. You have free reign to make your decisions. And your emotions are your emotions. I don't think I need to explain that further. (laughs) A powerful person does not ignore any parts of who they are. They don't ignore their bodies. They don't ignore their spirits. And they don't ignore their souls. This sets them up for successful relationships that have deep connections and love. When you're aware of your own trinity, and I'm not trying to go that whole divinity thing that everybody's talking about, I'm talking about spirit's whole body, your trinity. When you're aware of it, and you know what you have, then you are finally able to completely give yourself to Christ and to other people in your deep relationships. So now I want to kind of turn it and let's start looking at what does a powerful person look like? How do they act? What do they do? First, they value their body. (laughs) Right? I love me. (laughs) Even if we lived in a powerless way for years and mistreated our bodies, made our bodies suffer. Being powerful is just deciding to make one change right now, to value your body. And then when you're done with that change, make the next change. It's not about perfection. Being powerful isn't about being perfect. It's also celebrating who you are right now. This. I celebrate this in this second. Even if that was the first choice that I made to my body, <laughs> and I, wasn't, I haven't been on my health journey for the past two years, the first thing is celebrating who I am. I love all of the, the Facebook posts that I've been reading lately of a lot of moms who are just like, I'm going to post this photo anyways because this body has given me my children. This body has carried them. It has fed them. It has carried me. It has brought me through my ups. It has brought me through my downs. And this is me. Right? That's a healthy, powerful way to look at your body. Powerful people commune with God and feed and develop their spirits. They find their identity as God's children and walk it out. 
their goal is to manage their own relationship with God. And they represent the Father well and invite people up higher. No one can work on your relationship with God harder than you work. You can't expect somebody else to do it. That's not the way that God works. At the very beginning, I said the point of Christianity is for the direct, personal relationship with God. It is a one-on-one thing. This, this part of it is not a group effort. <laughs> your spouse, even your children, can't be the spiritual ones in the house and think that because you're around it, you're good. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> your pastor... And other Christian celebrities cannot be your source of value in your Christianity. <laughs> I hear so many people say, if only I could get so-and-so to pray for me, to lay hands on me, or even just to have a conversation with me. My life will turn around. I'll finally be happy. My calling will finally come to fruition. Just look at me. Right? How many times have we heard that? <laughs> Every conference, yes. <laughs> I tell you what, in my personal experience, it's the prayer team where I have gotten my socks knocked off, not the speakers. <laughs> not the speakers. Woo! But all that whining, that doesn't sound powerful, does it? Mm -mm. And I'm not saying that you can't draw off of them. That would be stupid. Okay? (laughs) Draw on their wisdom. Draw on their revelation. Learn from your pastor. Learn from your friends. Even learn from your spouse. Oh, my gosh. They might know more than you. But don't become dependent. That's the difference. So number three, I forgot to say one and two. Number one, body. Number two, spirit. (laughs) Number three, a powerful person develops a high emotional intelligence. How many here knows what emotional intelligence is? You can raise your hands. This is not a trick question. (laughs) Yeah, some? Great. For the rest, let's dive into it. (laughs) So emotional intelligence, the definition is awareness of one's own emotions and moods and those of others. Another definition is the capacity of individuals to recognize their own and other people's emotions, to discriminate between different feelings and label them appropriately and use emotional information to guide thinking and behavior. Wow. So emotions are great. Emotions guide our thinking and our behavior. There are more neuropaths from our heart 
to our brain than from our brain to our heart. Our heart sends more messages to our brain than our brain sends to our heart. What does that tell us? (laughs) Emotions are pretty important. Right? Yet we spend all of our time feeding, 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 feeding our minds, feeding our mind knowledge, right? Developing that intelligence, and we completely ignore and cut off our emotions. Right? When, if we look at our body, it is telling us we need to have more importance on our emotions and our emotional health than what we know. Right? Who cares how smart we are if nobody likes us? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Nobody's there to listen to how smart you are because you keep treating them like trash. (laughs) I'm just being obvious. (laughs) A powerless person will do one of two things. Okay? They will either ignore and suppress their emotions until it eats them alive or they completely blow up out of nowhere, right? Or they have no filter on their emotions. Like it says up here, they cannot discriminate between different feelings and label them. They just let them all out, right? And they hurt feelings and they make messes wherever they go, Right? We have met both of those people. (laughs) A powerful person with high emotional intelligence will know how to do four things. Okay? First one is to be self-aware. They have taken the time to do an accurate self-assessment. Right? They know who they are. Now, there's some really good tools out right now where I'm talking about love languages and I'm talking about Myers-Briggs and all the spiritual gifting testings, right? There's so many of them. If I started doing all the names, then we would be here till the end just on naming the tests. There are tons out there. And at first, I was just like, I'm not going to take these tests. I am unique. I am who God made me to be. This test is going to box me in. It's going to tell me how to act. You know, I was rebelling against them. Yet the whole time, I was completely lost in my identity, had no idea who I was. But a test was not going to tell me. (laughs) But I took it anyways. (laughs) And you know what? One test, I went to 16 personalities. I will say that one. Took the test. And I finally felt like I was understood. When I read through the pages and pages and pages that it gives you when it gives you your assessment, I finally felt understood. I was like, oh, I'm not a weirdo with multiple personalities that pop out here and there. And like, (laughs) I felt like I was a split personality. But they're just like, no, this is how your brain tends to work. And I'm like, yeah, this is how you tend to interact with people. I'm like, yes. I mean, John was laughing hysterically reading this thing with me. It is powerful. Knowing your love languages is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's so that we know how our emotions present themselves in our personalities, right? We can walk up to somebody and be like, oh my gosh, they're so overwhelming. They're not. It's who they are. They are a lover. They love to hug you, and it's okay. (laughs) Or a quiet person. All of you loud huggers have to be okay with a quiet person. (laughs) They may awkwardly stand there while you hug them, but it's still okay. (laughs) Overall, a powerful person knows who they are, how they tick, and they have the self-confidence because of it. I now know who I am, so now I can now communicate to you who I am because I understand who I am now. So they're self-aware and they have self-management. Hmm, is that fruit of the Spirit, self-control? They know their warning signs. And John has kind of hit on this a couple of times. They know their warning signs. Because they know who they are, they know when they're getting low. They know when they're getting overwhelmed. Some introvert deeper and shut down. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You can identify me. (laughs) Some do the opposite, and they go out and do something crazy. They jump out of a plane. They go mosh, whatever. They just got to go do something crazy. There's this like, ah! (laughs) Other people don't go do something crazy. They just lash out on the next person that comes to them, right? (laughs) Nobody's going to raise their hand for that one. Like, what? (laughs) Or some, when they get overloaded, they just get depressed. You know? Each person's different. But it's knowing what your warning sign is. And it's knowing how to fill your tank when you are empty. And you don't rely on other people to do it. (laughs) Remember it said that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And all of these times when I say that nobody else can do it for you, I do want to say that God is always there for you. He's always with you. So you're never like alone in working these things out. But again, you have to work on you. Nobody else can do it for you. God can't even work on you for you. He will just partner with you. some people enter into relationships with another person (laughs) and they think they are their saving grace. This person is it. They're going to be the key to make my life happy, to make everything make sense in my life. They're going to keep me from falling in the pit. They're going to keep me from going crazy. But you know what? John's like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. But if you enter a relationship with that mindset, you are dooming the relationship to fail. Because you are putting extreme expectations on that person that they cannot fulfill. That's any relationship. That's romantic relationships and that's friendships. 
all of your relationships, if you're thinking that you're gonna get into this relationship for what they're gonna give back to you, you're killing the relationship. So as a powerful person, you're self-controlled, right? We're managing ourselves, but we're also transparent. You know who you are, so you have the ability to share who you are, right? You get to share what's going on inside of you. Some people who like vomit too much information on you, you know what I'm talking about? Like way too much information on you and you feel vomited on instead of like confided with, that means that they don't have an understanding of what's actually going on in here. Right? It's that a powerful person knows how to be transparent. And they're adaptable. When you're well aware of your limits, what fills you up, what drains you, right? What you're good at, what you're working on, you're not run by the fear of the unknown realm of change, right? What's going to happen? What if they change this? What's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Please don't change it. I don't know if I can handle this. That's not a powerful person, right? Even if something changes and it doesn't work, being a powerful person means going to the person that made the change and say, this doesn't work for me anymore. Right? But it's the chance. It's the risk. That's what we say so much in this church is that we take the chance, we take the risk of obeying God and moving forward. We make changes all the time. So I need you guys to be very powerful people that can adapt. (laughs) This is kind of a selfish point. So the third thing they have, okay, so this is us. We know us, we manage us, okay? So let's focus on outward. They have social awareness. Powerful people are aware of other people's emotions. They have empathy. Empathy is the capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing from their frame of reference and the capacity to place oneself in another's position, right? Empathy gives you that ability to understand a person to the point where you can crawl down into that pit with them, but then your understanding of what they're going through allows you to show them a way out, right? Okay, we're not supposed to stay in the pit. We've heard that. Don't stay in the pit. (laughs) Mourn with those who mourn, but then show them a way out. Because Christ always gives a way out. Right? But there's a flip side to empathy that I don't think anybody really thinks of. It also gives you the ability to celebrate with people when you are not in a season of promotion (laughs) yourself. (laughs) Isn't it always true? When you're going through hardship, when you're going through that, I'm, I'm... Fighting from my word. I'm believing. Nothing's happening, but I'm believing. And then somebody is like, it's so easy for them. And they're just like, bam, bam, bam. Glory to glory. Ah." (laughs) Right? Always seems to happen that way. It's empathy that allows you to go into their situation and their position and identify and understand with them. 
You get to celebrate with them. It's a two-sided coin, right? You also have organizational awareness. This has to do with your jobs. How does your job run? What's the protocols at your work? There's structure everywhere that you go. There's the way things work everywhere that you want to go. There's structure. There's a procedure. There's protocol, right? You don't get to just walk in. Well, some people do. Most jobs, you don't get to just walk into your boss's office and just blah. Ah, so I was thinking, da, da, la, la, la. right? That's not how it works. <laughs> some companies have changed this, and so I'm not putting the blanket statement. But <laughs> for my example, you have to make an appointment or you have to send an email. There's things that you have to do to be successful with relating with the people that you're with, right? It's the same in church. This is not a circus in the sense that it's chaos. We have a structure. We have protocol. But it's to keep this place safe, to keep this safe place flowing, to give people their room for freedom. But you have to work within the structure, right? You can't walk into this church and think you're going to be on our staff the next week. That's not our structure. <laughs> so if that was your thought, bam, I just popped that bubble. <laughs> oh, powerful people, they take the time to know how things work in their environment. To know how to work with people within that structure, right? That is a powerful person to say, I know what's inside of me, but I am willing to walk where you have made the path to walk, right? There's a lot of people in churches that have not developed this emotional intelligence. That they walk in, they want the platform, they want the ministry, they want the influence, they want to be seen, they want to... Give out what they have. And I'm not saying they don't have anything to give out, because everyone does. But we would not be creating a safe place here if we allowed somebody who did not have a high emotional intelligence onto this platform. They're not safe. Yeah. They're not. I don't know how they're going to treat you. That's part of emotional intelligence. <laughs> Right? So if you really want to fulfill your calling, if you really feel like that, the platform is where you are called, spend just as much time developing your emotional intelligence as you are getting revelation from the Lord. So a powerful person, it's got me covered. I'm all in control. I know what's going on around me. And now I'm going to have relational management. How do you manage your relationships with other people? So you build connections. This is advancing the kingdom. Building connections. That is the baseline of evangelism. Right? Making connection. Does not matter what you say. As long as you have made that connection with Christ's love. There is no booklet that will work on everyone. <laughs> Right? <laughs> a 
Okay, so we are advancing the kingdom with making connections, right? We are stewarding the kingdom with conflict management, right? Not every relationship is peachy all the time. Can husband and wives get it? Amen. <laughs> there are bumps. There's arguments. There's disagreements. But conflict management is a tool and a powerful person's tool belt, right? They use teamwork. They don't do it alone. They know that not every single strength is inside of them. They need other people. They have influence on people in a good, healthy way because they have high emotional intelligence. And they develop others. Part of stewarding this kingdom is developing the people around you, pulling out what is inside of them, right? So we have, we value our bodies. We develop our spirits, and we develop our emotional intelligence. The fourth thing is a powerful person owns their decisions and their voice. Oh, it's 1230. i got to go fast. Okay. <laughs> so it is saying that I am in charge of me. I make my decisions, and if I make a bad decision, I will take responsibility for it. Right? So I love what Jesus said. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I believe this is one of the most profound decisions that Christ has ever made. Why did he decide to strip himself and come down here to earth? Because he chose you. Why did he take ridicule and beating? It's because he chose you. Why did he decide to die such a horrific death? It's because he chose you. It doesn't matter what you do or how you act with his love. It does not change it. When I say to John, I choose you, I choose to continually move towards him. No matter what. Not saying that he's these things, but I just made a list. <laughs> when he's grumpy, I still choose him. When he acts out in fear, I still choose him. When he lashes out, I still choose him. Or when he ignores me, I still choose him. I will continue to choose him. Because that is what Christ has done with me. We always have a decision when fear enters the relationship, right? Are we going to back away? Or are we going to keep moving forward? Even when you're afraid, it's not actually pain that drives our decisions, but our fear that something might lead to pain, right? Avoidance of pain is the number one reason why relationships break. We're afraid that we're going to be in too much pain. Most of the time, it's not that we are in too much pain. We're afraid that we will be in too much pain. doesn't mean that you get to be a doormat, okay, guys? I'm not saying you have to just deal with everything. Choosing, me, choosing the person means that you have enough value on them to say, you've made a really big mess. And before I go down this path with you again, you need to clean it up. I still love you, and I still choose you, but I'm not walking down this path until the, the mess is cleaned. 
If you keep going down the path and then the mess keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening, that's on you. You have now stepped into it and said, we have made this mess because you knew what was coming. Right? We go into our marriages thinking that we're going to change them. I'm just going to quickly say that ain't going to happen. <laughs> right? Or we have our children and we think that our children, they're going to be a baseball player. They're going to be a ballerina. We have all these plans because the Lord has shown me. Right? Let's be spiritual because we're Christians here. <laughs> but guess who's not walking down your path that you have built for them their entire lives? Your only job in that relationship is to choose them. In the bad seasons, let's just be honest, parents, in the weird seasons, yeah, in all the seasons, you just continue to choose them. Jesus didn't go around fixing people, right? If you looked, Jesus went around asking people questions, and he gave them choices, options, right? The man at the pool of Bethesda, he didn't just go, boop, you're healed. That would have been easier if you could be Jesus and be like, boop, boop, you're healed, boop, you're healed. No, he had conversations. He walked up to him and said, do you want to be made well? It's because some people don't. They like their disability check. They like their comfort of attention because of the pain, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain. They like the attention. They don't want to be healed. you got to ask. <laughs> The blind man, he put mud on his face, but that didn't heal him. He told him to go wash his face in the pool. That's what healed him. It was his choice to walk to that pool and wash his face. Jesus wanted to empower everyone, but it is our decision, and he knew it. So he gave them, always gave them the option of do you want to be empowered or do you not? The powerless is play the blame game, right? We blame our spouse. We blame our kids. We blame the old. We blame the young. We blame Satan. I've just been under so much demonic attack. Satan is so mean. <laughs> the devil can't make you a victim, period. You are never a victim of demonic attack. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but you are not a victim. The only thing that you can be is a volunteer. I will just leave that there. <laughs> so a powerful person understands that their decision is their decisions and not their conditions that shape their lives. All right, last point. I'll make it really fast because this is the part where I've said that there's been teachings on it, is to take every thought captive. Whew, just that phrase right there kind of makes me a little overwhelmed. Just thinking about taking every single thought captive. Oh, my gosh. Like, how many thoughts have you just had in the past five minutes? <laughs> Your mind never stops. <laughs> God obviously doesn't mean to take every single thought captive, or we would all lose our minds, right? <laughs> like, oh, what did I just think? Oh, what did I just think? Oh, wait. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's not all, then which ones, right? So let's actually go to the context of the scripture in 2 Corinthians 10.5, really fast. I'm going to read in the Passion. It says, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. 
We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Right? So what do we take captive? We take captive fantasies or imaginations that oppose God. His nature. Okay? So let's bring this into terms we can understand. His nature. So to just bring it down simply, if there's death and if there's fear, it's not God. Take it captive. It does not mean capture your imagination. Just those imaginations. Imaginations of fear and imaginations of death. Right? And it says arrogant attitudes. Ouch. I mean, if you really think about it, that's what wasn't listed. There was only two things listed. Fantasies and arrogant attitudes. We are not supposed to spend our lives examining every single thought. Right? Because guess what? We have the mind of Christ. So all we have to do is recognize that faulty pattern of thinking. Just like, oh, wait, I am way too fearful about something. Let's just, woo, (laughs) capture that thought, toss it out. But then you need to fill yourself. When you take the time to cast out a thought, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Do not leave that void. With our thoughts, what you invest in to your thoughts, it's what you dwell on. The principle of investing is that you always get a return on what you invest in. So if you dwell on the negative, you always get a negative return. You set yourself up for those self-fulfilling prophecies that I'm not good enough. Things never work out for me. I always screw up. Or they're always mean to me. They never look at me. They ignore me. But then you set yourself up for that to actually happen because you begin to act that way because you're dwelling on it, and you get the return. So then you start being mean to that person so they do ignore you because you're not nice. (laughs) Right? You can't let your minds run wild, all right? Is my spouse upset with me? Does he still love me? Oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. Does that person, do they think poorly of me? Are they judging me? Right? Okay, all of us have had those thoughts. I will just, okay. (laughs) We've all fought through them. But how do we deal with them? First, you bring them to the light. Is there any truth in them? Sometimes there is. Sometimes that person is mean. Right? Is there any truth? If there is truth, a powerful person will communicate with that person how they are making them feel. Not, you're doing this to me. No, it's when you, when you have done that, it makes me feel this way, right? That's the difference between a powerless and powerful. You are not blaming them. You are letting them know how it made you feel when they acted that way. Don't do it in a victim way or it'll only make it worse. <laughs> so we value our bodies. We invest in our spirits, developing it. We develop emotional intelligence. We make our own decisions. We own our own decisions. And we take those faulty thoughts captive. I believe that we're in a season of tremendous revelation of how important our emotions are. The health of our emotions are. We say that kingdom is family here, right? I believe that many of us are starting to understand what that actually means. 
It means walking through those doors and intentionally making connections with the people in this room. Choosing each person in this room makes them your family. If you walk in here and don't talk to anyone, and then you walk out, you are not truly family here. I'm going to be honest. You attend, but you're choosing to not be part of this family. No one here is your family until you decide to choose them and build that connection. It takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes intentionality. But you know, when, when I found out that how I embraced a powerful person that was in me, I found out that each connection that I made, instead of it making me feel drained and used, my life is so much richer now because of these connections. It's meant to build you up, not wear you out. <sighs> Most people stop being powerful because they're afraid. And that's why John made it so clear when he said that there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Love is always the key. I love how Danny Selk says in marriages, you're saying, I choose you no matter how you respond. My love for you will not change because I choose you. It's the same here. It's the same in your family and it's the same in this family. We choose each other we love each other. We lift each other up. But it all stems from each of us realizing that we have to be powerful people in and of ourselves. We are in control of this. And once we realize that, then when powerful people come together, then we can truly advance the kingdom and steward the kingdom. And we're able to bring in new people who have no idea how to be powerful and show them the way. There's no powerless people in the kingdom. We all have what it takes. In prayer, a scripture was said, and I loved it. It was in 2 Chronicles, and it said, The Lord is searching for a man or a woman who is fully committed so that he can show himself strong. How are you fully committed? When you know and are fully aware of your body, spirit, and soul. You have to be the powerful person he made for him to be able to show himself strong to you. Mm. So let's stand. just close our eyes Holy Spirit is good and some of you well should be all of us because we're all on this journey are feeling some sort of conviction of where we are operating in being powerless you know some of us struggle more than others and it's okay own your journey some of us have had some pretty rotten things happen to ourselves but be aware of where you are in the journey. Listen to Holy Spirit. Listen to the conviction. It's to pull you up and out. When the Lord says that he won't give you anything that you can't handle, some of you think of the journey that you have to go on, and you're like, there's absolutely no way possible. But you know what? It's not the entire journey. It's the one decision in front of you. It's that one thing. Don't even think about the rest. He is saying that you have the ability to make this one choice. 
this one decision, and then he will walk with you to the next decision. So just listen. What is he saying? Hmm. Holy Spirit, just fill us with your wisdom and your compassion right now. Fill us overflowing with your grace as we go on this journey of becoming powerful people. Mm. Our hearts is that we can be fully committed to you, being able to give ourselves fully to you so that you may come strong, that you may reveal yourself strong, Jesus, give us the grace. I just keep hearing grace, grace. It does not matter where you are on this journey. There is grace to move forward. Mm -hmm. So let's just, do we have the prayer team? All right, prayer team, even if you were scheduled or not, come on up. (laughs) What I want to do is I want to finish this off They're well-trained and know how to pull you up and love you where you are. But if you really feel like that you need support of this family to move forward in being a powerful person, please come up. Take the action. Make the decision to do something for yourself to make you stronger and more powerful. Mm. That's so good. All right. I've taken a whole lot of time, but it's all right. (laughs) That's so good. This is such an important message.